chapter 4, reading from verse 32 to 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading of the three today is from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 4. We declare to you what was from the beginning, What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This, again, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we stand for our gospel reading as... Keith brings that to us. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me and you have, belie- you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. One of the quirky decision, uh, uh, traditions of the good old Church of England is that this Sunday, the Sunday following Easter, is designated Low Sunday. The argument being is it is an anticlimax to last Sunday's celebrations of Easter. But of course, as I'm sure all of you recognise, every day is Easter for us who know the Lord. We are resurrection people. So there is no such thing as a low Sunday, unless it's when you arrive and hear I'm preaching. But seriously, I think that for the disciples, that first Sunday was a low Sunday. Three days before, the great catastrophe of the execution of their beloved Jesus had taken place. And now, despite sporadic reports of him being alive again, there was fear and disbelief amongst them. And yet suddenly, in the evening, he was there, there in a locked room, No wonder his opening greetings with the the traditional shalom, peace be with you. And it struck me when I was preparing this as an aside, it struck me that Jesus identified himself with the marks of his death rather than with the glory of the transfiguration. And it's then that he makes this amazing statement. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is my focus for this morning. I want to look at our part in the mission of the church. Or as I'll 
explain and unfold, I hope, our part in the continuing mission of Jesus. I want to look at it under three broad headings. First, the importance of mission. Secondly, the resources of mission. And thirdly, the marks of mission. So first of all, the importance of mission. If I'm honest, I often pay little more than lip service to my call to mission. The problem is multifaceted. At worst, it's disobedience. Somewhere down the line, it's simply apathy. And perhaps if, at best, if I may make that excuse, is because the idea is mission is only for the professionals. But in that locked room, we need to remind ourselves Jesus was talking to ordinary folk. Only days before, they had deserted him. One of them had even denied him three times. And yet another one of them was absent on that occasion because he was not sure he even believed at all. No, Jesus made this statement to ordinary folk like you and me. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, it's vital to see that the importance of mission stems from it being at the very heart of God. God is and always has been, to coin a phrase, on a mission. It's seen most clearly here in this idea of sentness, the sentness of Jesus. Several times in this very gospel, Jesus speaks of being sent. For example, in 536, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Indeed, even earlier in the Gospel, this sentness is seen as the impetus of mission. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And of course, in the very previous verse to that, 3.16, perhaps the best-known verse in the whole of the New Testament, the motivation for mission was, of course, love. God so loved the world. But now, here, in this meeting, in that locked upper room on the first Easter, this sentness of Jesus 
is extended to us, to you and to me. Bruce Milne, whose commentary on John I've been studying over the last few months, suggests that in a real sense, Jesus himself was defined by mission, in that it was his primary reason for coming. And thus, Bruce goes on to say, it should be how we as a church are defined. Since I trust we all want to be more and more like Jesus, then mission should be more and more our commitment as a church. And this is emphasised, in fact, by the tenses that Jesus uses for the verb to send. The Father has sent me. In the original Greek was what we call the perfect tense, implying that there's a past action, Jesus was sent, but that action continues. He was sent and he's still sent. And then, I am sending you, is in the present tense, implying that it's something that goes on and on and on. Some may say, but surely Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. And then that's him, done. He can go and sit down in heaven and let us get on with it. But his cry, it is finished, was surely for his unique work of atonement. But Jesus' overall mission continues. And so our call to mission is not, as it were, part two of what Jesus did. It's a continuation, a joining in, in partnership. There is only one mission. And we are partners with Jesus in this mission. This, I tell you, is the importance of mission. But what are the resources we have for this mission? Well, in view of our partnership with Jesus, the first resource we have for mission is none other than Jesus himself. We're not doing something on our own. We're not doing something that we've thought up. We are joining in with him. He is the sender. But equally, as we know that Jesus in his earthly ministry didn't do anything in his own strength. He only did it as the Spirit empowered him from baptism onwards. And thus, in his manifesto in Luke 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And so we as a church can only partner with Jesus in his mission as we are empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit. As a little aside, if I may, verse 22 of our Gospel, where it says, and with that he breathed on them and said, received the Holy Spirit. That's been much debated. Was this, uh, uh, what about Pentecost? But I believe it was simply a pointer ahead to what was going to come in 40 days' time. Or, sorry, 50 days' time. But it's also an in, a reminder the intimate link between Father, Son and Spirit. Jesus breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. So the prime resources for our mission are Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But I believe there are two other results of that, which are our resources. Authority and prayer. In the fuller commission that we read at the end of Matthew's Gospel, we see the sentness is linked with authority. Jesus, you remember, said, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go, there's the sentence, go and make disciples of all nations. Authority is a vital resource in our mission. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The word sent has as its root in the Greek the same word that we use, apostle. It means someone sent with authority, authority of the sender. For example, when Rome conquered a nation or a city, the emperor would send an apostle to that nation or city in order to bring the values of Rome, the laws of Rome, to that conquered nation or city. So in a real sense, with our call to mission to bring in the kingdom of God, our mission is apostolic. I'm not going to get into a debate as to whether there are apostles today or not. All of us have an apostolic calling. We are all sent to bring the values of the kingdom with the authority of the sender. 
But as we saw in Jesus' ministry, authority was always bound up with obedience. Jesus only did, only said what he saw and heard the Father doing. And thus we too must always act in subordination to the Father. Authority is not ours to wield when and how we feel like it. But secondly, there's prayer. Perhaps so obvious and yet sadly so often neglected. Prayer was vital to Jesus' mission on earth. Countless times in the Gospels we read he went apart to pray early in the morning, all night, whenever. And of course he continues in heaven, the New Testament tells us. He prayed as he exercised the authority from his Father. So it must be with us in this partnership. In fact, possibly one of the most astounding promises on the lips of Jesus in John 14, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. But he immediately follows that with, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Authority and prayer must go hand in hand. So the resources of mission are Jesus, the Holy Spirit, authority, and prayer. And thirdly, the marks of mission. What does mission look like? What is our mission? I've hinted at it already about the kingdom. But the end of our gospel reading, we read this summary of John. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This Perhaps I need not remind you, is why Jesus was sent. Why he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And this is to be our mission in the 2,000 years on from then. So what are the marks of this mission? Well, there are many wherever we are called by the Lord to serve him, we are to be 
in mission. But I'd like to suggest just three which in many ways are vital. Word, works, and unity. First of all, word. We heard in our short reading from 1 John, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Earlier in the Gospels, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and preach. Now, I understand that the words proclaim and and preach bring to mind a form of the word which is perhaps limited to a few people. Perhaps not many of you here feel you could do what I'm doing now. Perhaps some of you are sitting there thinking, yes, you could, and a better job. But preaching is a calling like everything else. But if we replace the word proclaim or preach with witness, testify, tell, it becomes universal. They're all part of normal life. When Jenny and I were in Tesco's on Thursday, did you know we found that they've got a special offer on? This, that and the other, you ought to try it. A lot cheaper than Sainsbury's. Or we watched this good quiz on the telly last night. It was really good. You ought to try it next week. Or do you know we have a new baby in our family? arrived a couple of days ago. Who hasn't said things like that to somebody else? So why can't we say to others, did you know I had this problem and I prayed about it and and God answered my prayer? Or did you know I wasn't, my, my friend wasn't very well and I prayed, and now they're better. Or, you know, I've struggled with this all my life until I found Jesus. And actually, it's so much better now. How much more we can all tell, testify, witness... Let's do it, folks. Let's be committed to do it. And then there's works. We hear plenty about that in this church, and wonderfully so. We saw it in our Acts reading. And of course, it will include the miraculous and the spectacular, and praise God that it does. But I believe, actually, that the majority of our works will simply be mirroring the way that Jesus treated folks. I don't know how many of you had the great joy of watching those episodes from The Chosen during our Lent course. I guess 
quite a lot of you here did. But week after week, what impacted me almost more than anything was the humanity of Jesus as he interacted with people, as he hugged Mary Magdalene after delivering her of all those evil spirits, the way that he joined in at the Cana of Galilee wedding and danced and laughed and had leg pulls and jokes. Those are just as much the works of Jesus as the healing of the lame and the raising of the dead. Helping folks in every sort of way is part of our joint mission with Jesus. See, the content of our mission is neither just word or works, it's both. It's ultimately to bring people into the kingdom. But God is interested in all aspects of our lives. Word, works, and now perhaps surprisingly to some of you, unity. May seem odd, but our little Acts reading starts with these words, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And only a short while before, Jesus had prayed this, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Unity is a mark of mission. We need to be in this together. Unity doesn't mean agreeing on everything, or worse, that we're all some sort of clone. No, it means we have a common sense of purpose, a common sense of mission together. And if we do it in different ways, then we respect those. We honour one another for our multifaceted calling. Whatever our gifting, whatever God has inspired us to do, we're all in it together. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Mission truly is the name of the game. Jesus makes it clear it is vitally important to the Father and to him. There's a needy, dying world out there. So let us commit ourselves afresh, COVID or no COVID, to co-mission with Jesus by his authority and in prayer to build the kingdom in word 
and deed. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In a moment, we're going to show, watch a short video. It's only a couple of minutes long. And it challenges us as to what church mission looks like. I warn you, it is American, but don't be put off by that at the end when uh, there's a sort of USA-focused look to mission because the principles in it are universal. Let's watch it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have always been on a mission. We thank you that you sent Jesus. And we are humbled by the fact that he is sending us. May we go in obedience. May we go in partnership with him. May we go with his authority and in prayer, in word, works and unity. For we ask it in his name. Amen.